I want to share something with you that's been burning in me for a little while. Let me, let me read a few verses of scripture to you. You'll know them all. They'll be very familiar. The first one is this. In Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27, the Bible says this, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Everyone say this. The anointing destroys the yoke. It just does. The anointing destroys the yoke. When there's anointing, yokes will be destroyed. When there's no anointing, yokes will remain. The anointing destroys the yokes. Then David said this in Psalm chapter 92 verse 10. says, but my horn you've exalted like a wild ox. That's a little bit poetical. We won't go into it. But the next bit, but I have been anointed with fresh oil. Make me happy if you would help me preach tonight. Say, I have been anointed with fresh oil. We need fresh oil. Do you want to know the Lord kind of gave me a little sort of rule of thumb for how fresh your oil is? Do you want to know how you can tell how fresh your oil is? It's by how fresh your stories are. I got tired of telling 20-year-old stories. I'm actually going to tell you one a little bit. But I don't only want 20-year-old stories. If the last person I led to the Lord was a long time ago, my oil is not fresh. But thankfully, I, David said I have been, perhaps in our case it's I can be, anointed with fresh oil. There is fresh oil. And then in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, you know this verse really, really well. You could probably quote it, but we're going to read it. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's Jesus. If Jesus needed the anointing, how much more do we? But thankfully he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power. You could add without any twist of theology or any adding to the scripture. You could add the word also. But you shall also receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I want to talk for a few minutes this evening about the anointing because one thing that I see, you're probably seeing the same thing, is globally... Churches are backing further and further and further and further away from the anointing. We are trying to perfect in the flesh what God birthed in the Spirit, which is the church age. The church age was birthed in the Holy Spirit. It was birthed in the anointing, and we're trying to finish it with, with, with media and apps and websites. And, you know, and, and I'm, those things are great tools. But in the minute they get in the way of the Holy Spirit, they need to go. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that glorifies Jesus. And you can't have the gift of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit without the Spirit. A lot of churches want that. We want the gifts, we want the manifestation, but we want the Holy Spirit to fit in a nice little box. And then you have expressions which I use. I use it. I'll probably use it tonight, so don't shoot me. But we use expressions like, um, we're going to let God move. In our church, we like to let God move. And I always hear, hear that, and I think, what do you mean you like to let God move? Oh, that's big of you. Do you know what I mean? He lets us breathe, and we're going to let God move, like we're the big cheese. No, he's the big cheese. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? When did this, we like to let God move, as if that's an option? 
want the gifts, we want the power, we want to see people set free and saved and delivered. We just don't want the Holy Spirit, but He's the one that does it. Because Jesus said, He will glorify me. He will take what's mine and show it to you. We need the anointing. We need to be anointed with fresh oil. Coming out of COVID, what do we need? We need a move of God. Right after we, I left here, went home, and, and all this stuff happened. And one of our pastors, her name's Pastor Mindy. Her full name is Praminder. She is Asian. He's uh, Indian heritage, but several generations English. And um, she drinks a lot more tea than I do. But she is a little bit heavy, and she is over 50, and she is Asian, and she has type 2 diabetes. So every box you don't want to tick and get COVID. And this was in the very early days when we had no idea how to treat it, and they were rushing to put people on ventilators. And, and she's in hospital, and she was hours from going on a ventilator. And sadly, many people that go on ventilators weren't coming off. And her husband, her daughter couldn't go see her. She's one of the associate pastors at Gateway, the church I lead under Christ. And I couldn't go see her. And I'm on the treadmill. And I'm frustrated because I, I can't go see her. I can't do anything about it. I can't help. I felt so powerless. And I was, I'd been on that treadmill for a while. And I was listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes. And he, in this message, I can't remember what he was talking about, but he said this. He said, sometimes when you don't know what to do, you just need to ask God what to do. And I thought to myself, John, you nincompoop. Why didn't you do that? Like, why didn't I? You know what? Sometimes the obvious is never obvious until it's obvious, and then it's obvious. So I turned him off. I carried walking on the treadmill, and I said, God, what? how do I help Mindy? How can I help her? What do I do? And I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting a response straight away. But immediately God began to download this, this strategy almost to me about how to pray for people that have COVID. How to bind the spirit of COVID. He was very clear. He said, I'm not talking about the global pandemic. I'm teaching you how to take authority over the spirit of COVID over the life of an individual. He said, the problem with COVID isn't that in and of itself it's so bad. He said, the problem is people are unable to recover from it. But if you will bind the spirit of it and lay an ax to the root of it, people are free to recover. And so this whole thing went on. And then God began, carried on saying, and on the back of COVID, you will encounter two massive great issues. One will be a spiritual lethargy. And the other, he said, is this, will be a stalled move of God. Stalled like a car. S-T-A-L-L-E-D. And he said, you're going to have to kickstart the move of God. And he said, you'll have to do it, do it through the release of my power. We'll encounter a stalled move of God. Many, many churches, many Christians, many places are presently experiencing a stalled move of God. We're coming back together, but where's the power? Where's the move? Where's all the things we're excited about? It's stalled, but you kickstart it with my power. So I want to talk for a few minutes this evening, and I know I'm talking to a mature group of believers, so I'm not expecting this to be new. Sometimes you teach, sometimes you stir up. I'm stirring up. I'm stirring up. So let me talk about it for a bit. God's glory and God's anointing are not the same thing. They're not. You could say it like this. God's presence and God's power are not the same thing. There's all the difference in the world between the presence of the Lord being powerful and the power of the Lord being present. And in my church, we've become very, very comfortable, very uh, competent 
in the presence of the Lord being powerful. We many times say, ah, the presence of the Lord was powerful today. You go to a meeting, the presence of the Lord was powerful, which is wonderful. But that's not the same as when the power of the Lord is present. The Bible says when Jesus ministered, the power of the Lord was present to heal. And the whole multitude was healed. God's presence and God's power are not the same thing. God's glory and his anointing. God's anointing is the gift that his glory imparts. God's power is the result of time in his presence. And as we spend time in his presence, the result is we then walk in his power. When we spend time in the glory, we find that we are carrying. He that dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You shall receive power after Holy Spirit has come upon you. What we've tried to do is use this. We've tried to use God's presence in a meeting as a crutch for the fact that we haven't spent time in his presence in a secret place. But God says, I see in secret and I reward in open. If I'm trying to have my secret place in the open, I'm missing the moment. There's only two people belong in my secret place, me and the Lord. No one else. And I leave that place and I come in the open and I give what I've received. Here's the problem. We're trying to give what we haven't received. We're trying to, there is no outpouring without an infilling. So we've got empty jugs trying to pour into empty mugs. Do you get what I mean? And we come before the Lord and the presence of the Lord is powerful. But God said this. He said, you draw near to me. That's one level. And they said, and then I'll draw near to you. That, that change that comes, that spark in the atmosphere and that's all the difference in the world between being a charismatic and charisma between Pentecostalism and Pentecost and the reason people come to our charismatic Pentecostal churches and get turned off it's not it's because we are charismatic which has become a style but we don't have charisma which is a person Do you get what I'm saying? We are seeking the power. I don't really believe we're called to seek power. I think it's actually a slightly fruitless exercise. We're called to seek his face. David said, or Moses said, show me your face, Lord. God said, I'll make my glory pass before you. And in fact, he said, and all the people before whom you stand will see marvels. We need people that have stood before the Lord again. Stood in the it's it's old fashioned, but it's a fresh fire. It's a very very fresh fire. Because here's the reality, and if you take nothing away from this message, please take this statement away. It's seven words, and I pray that they, if I could tattoo them on you, you might not be into tattoos, but if you were, I tattoo this on you. The anointing is the fruit of friendship. The anointing is the fruit of friendship. When you grow your friendship with the Lord, the fruit will be the anointing. You don't labor to produce fruit. You labor to 
digging the root. You labor to get to know Him. You, you labor to enter into that rest. But the anointing is as the Holy Spirit moves. And the anointing is the difference between fruitfulness and fruitlessness in ministry. Just ask Samson. He was doing great until the anointing left. Then he couldn't do anything. Ask the seven sons of Sceva. Those were the guys that tried to cast the demon out of the lady or the man. I can't remember who it was. Someone. And then, uh, isn't that the one where they started to pray and then the demon said, they said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Wasn't that, isn't that the same thing? And the demon said, Hank, wait a minute. What do you mean who Paul preaches? Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who are you? And they ran out naked. How awkward did that be? I always think, thank the Lord that was pre, you know, Snapchat and Instagram. Naked men run out of church. Bare-bottomed and everything. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. The anointing is the difference between fruitfulness and fruitlessness in ministry. So where does the anointing come from? How do we get anointed? Like, tangibly. We know there are anointed people out there. How do we, how do we get to be one of them? How do we get to be a friend of God? Is, is, there, a, is there a process, almost, by which we can, we can experience and know and, and be full of the anointing of God? I believe there is. And I want to talk for a minute about the three realms of prayer. I know this isn't new. I know this. I'm stirring up today. Does everyone say, stir it up? Okay. The first realm of prayer, you could say is this. It's the realm of the flesh. It's not bad. You have to, you have to physically get up in the morning and pray. You have to put your pajamas on and your slippers and make your cup of coffee or whatever is, is your thing. You, you have to physically sit in your chair or get on your knees. It, you know, God gave you your flesh. It's not bad. But the problem with the flesh is this. It's the realm of distraction. And so many of us, we get up and we say our prayers and we do our devotions, but in reality, we're distracted. Our mind's everywhere. Our thoughts are everywhere. You've ever had that thing where you read a page of the Bible and you couldn't tell if it was Leviticus or Genesis or Psalms. You read it. It's like, what on earth? And then you go back and read it again three or four times. You are in the flesh. (laughs) You are in the flesh because it's distraction. The flesh isn't bad. You got to start there. Just don't end there. Because there's another realm of prayer, and the next realm is the, is the realm of the soul. And the realm of the soul, you could describe like this, it's the realm of desire. The flesh is the realm of distraction, the soul is the realm of desire, where all of a sudden you actually desire the things you're praying about. We've all prayed in the flesh where you're praying and you, you can't give two hoots whether it happens or not, you don't even really remember what you're praying about. But then this, you, you go that level deeper and you get to the point where you're, you're amen, you're hallelujah, you're thank you Jesus, you're Lord, move in, in a particular nation, or God pour out your spirit. It's, it's coming from a much, much deeper place. It's actually a desire within you and it's right and it's good. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them. The proof of desire is pursuit and you press into that and you're hungry. That's where you weep. Because it's, 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 it's impassionate. It's, it's desperate. You mean it. You want it. You, you long for revival in your city. You long to see that person saved. You, you're hungry for the move of God. 
We've got to press from the flesh into that next level of prayer where there's a level of desire. But there's another level. I remember a number of years ago, I went to Spain for a prayer retreat week. And I was in the Costa del Sol, which is on the south coast. There's this boardwalk that they've built from um, a town called La Cala all the way over to Marbella. It's a beautiful area. I like to go there. A friend of mine has an apartment there, which is incredibly nice. I have a key to it. And so I go, and I, I like to spend a lot of time in the morning with the Lord. And then I go have lunch and, you know, spend a little time relaxing. And then in the evening, I, I walk up and down the boardwalk again. And I was, it was a Thursday night. I'd arrived on a Sunday, preached Sunday morning, flew to Spain. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm going home on Saturday. And Thursday night, I'm walking. It's dusk. I'm out on this boardwalk. I've got my headphones in. The music's loud. And I'm thinking about revival. I'm thinking about the move of God. I'm thinking about... And I was excited. I was as passionate as you could be out in public before someone comes and arrests you. I was a distance from people. But I was so excited. And I was, I was glad I was excited. It's terrible to go away for a week of prayer. And by the, you know, the, almost the time to come home, you've never even hit that point where you're anything other than distracted. So I was glad about that. And, I was, I was, and it was a really good prayer time. It was, it was loud but appropriate for in public. But on the inside, it was loud. I was, I was passionate. I was hungry. I could see the move of God. I, could, I was having visions and dreams. And, and all of this stuff was great. And I was heading back. Marbella's behind me. La Cala's in front of me. Ocean to the right. Hills to the left. It's, actually, it's a lot like California there, by the way. But anyway. And I'm going this way. And finally, I get quiet. And I'm a bit sweaty. And I got my music playing. And I, I, I get quiet and I hear the Holy Spirit say this. Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. He is the teacher. And he said, John, when are you going to get in the Spirit and let me give you the desire of your heart? And I thought, oh. See, for a very long time. Now, there's many times I'd broken into that place. I just didn't know what was going on. Sometimes you do things by accident, which is fine, but it's better when you can do it on purpose. I had been content so many times that I was passionate, that I was hungry, that I was excited, that I was desperate, that I was longing. I, I had, I'd finished so many prayer times and so many times in the Word, and, and my faith was stirred. I was, I was, I mean, oh, I'd poured out my heart. And I, would, I, I knew I'd broken through distraction. I was well into desire, and I said, amen, and I left. But here's the thing. Having the desire to heal the sick is not enough. You have to have the power to heal the sick. And the power comes after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And there's a third realm. The flesh is the realm of distraction. The soul is the realm of desire. But the spirit is the realm of dwelling. In the flesh, your body's talking. In the soul, your desires are talking. But in the spirit, your God is talking. And he gives you the desires of your heart. The Bible says he satisfies the longing soul. And you reach that place where you're not talking. Because if you've ever tried to talk and drink at the same time, very little goes in. And you become still. And you know that he's God. God is known. The Spirit is known. He's not felt. You feel the anointing. You know the Spirit. You know the glory. And you leave as long as you can stay in that place, stay. And you train yourself to stay like you train your flesh. And you train your soul. You train your spirit. 
we have been doing too much of our Christianity in the place of desire. And it, it's not bad. God gave you your soul. God gave you your flesh. You can't get to the Spirit without your flesh and your soul taking you there. But my Lord, let them take you there. The place of God's glory and His presence is the place of drinking that precedes the river. John chapter 7, verse 37. On that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart. Whose heart? His heart. Who's the his? The his that came and drank. What if you haven't drank? Nothing's coming out. That place of God's glory, that place of His presence, that place called in the Spirit, is the way you is the drinking that precedes the river. Who believes in me? As the Scripture has said, out of His heart will flow rivers of living water. But this He spoke concerning the Spirit. Whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Here's the thing, the physical discipline of prayer brings you into focused attention. Focused attention brings you into desire. Desire brings you into seeking his face, and seeing his face changes you. But we all with open face, beholding like in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit changes you when... You're seeing his face. God does very little in you from afar. He said, I will come and I will live in you. I'll put a new spirit in you. God didn't yell across time and eternity, I love you. Email me. We'll catch up. Have your people call my people. We'll do coffee. No, what's his name? His name is Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Thirst isn't satisfied by proclaiming thirst. Walk in on that boardwalk, Marbella behind me, La Cala in front of me, ocean to the right, hills to the left, headphones in, music playing, sweaty Betty. I was proclaiming hunger. I was proclaiming thirst. I was pouring. But thirst isn't satisfied by proclaiming thirst. Thirst is satisfied by drinking. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and yell how thirsty you are. Jesus, I'm thirsty. Drink. We're, stop, we're, doing, we're stopping short. Time and time and time again. Day after day, devotion after devotion. Prayer time after prayer time. We're stopping short. There's, a, there's another place. There's a secret place. We've forgotten some of these things. We need to remind ourselves. There's a secret place. And the thing that your soul is thirsty for is satisfied in His presence. Otherwise, you will spend decades hungry for something that never quite gets satisfied. But he is the satisfier of your soul. He satisfies the longing soul. And the overwhelming majority of us stop at thirst. We're satisfied that we're hungry. 
We're satisfied that we're thirsty. We pace up and down telling the Lord how hungry we are. We commend ourselves that we're not like the people up the road that aren't hungry. Thank God I'm not like... We're like the Pharisees, aren't we? Thank God I'm not like them. They're not even thirsty for the Spirit. I'm thirsty for the Spirit. You may be thirsty, but all you are is thirsty. You're not filled until you drink. So, praise the Lord. We're thirstier. We're a bit less distracted. We want it a bit more, but it doesn't mean we have it. There's lots of things I want, but I don't have. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, And He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 107 verse 9, For He satisfies the longing soul, and He fills the hungry soul with goodness. Again, having the desire to heal the sick is not sufficient. We must have the power to heal the sick. And power to heal the sick has to be received. It is received in His presence. Jesus said, But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power isn't received in the soul. It's not received in the flesh. It's received in the spirit. It's a spiritual thing that changes natural things. Let me tell you a story. I said I was going to tell you an old story. This is one of my favorites. Pastor Mike, I shared this one at Agape the other day. Oh, just can I just acknowledge my very, very dear friend, genuinely, Pastor Mike, who's been, I think, a friend of this house as well. I honor you. You're a, you're a spiritual father to me. You are a hero, especially when it comes to marriage and parenting to me. And a lot of my parenting, I've modeled after you. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for believing in me since I was 20. Thanks for being here. Genuinely, thank you. I honor you. I was preaching years ago, and um, I was 17. It's my first time to ever preach in a real church. I couldn't preach my way out of a wet paper bag. Didn't know an epistle from an apostle. I thought a, a, a Hebrew was a male tea bag. Honestly, I didn't know anything. Never preached in a real church. And um, the pastor of the church asked me to preach. And he was going away to a conference. I think he was going, I think he was going to South Africa, Raymond, South Africa for a conference. And so I wanted to do a good job. And I was, I'd, I'd moved back to England from Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic. And I was getting ready to move to America to go to Raymond. And I had this eight months in the middle. And I thought I'd come back to work and earn some money. And I knew I couldn't earn enough money because as an international student, you can't work over here when you're studying at Bible college. But my first day back, a complete stranger, stranger to me, walked up and gave me a check for the entire thing I need for the whole Bible school, which was is like incredible. And it was, I mean, woo! But then I said, well, Lord, then what am I doing here? Because I thought I'd come back to work. And so the next day, the pastor said, well, John, come help me. Well, there's all the difference in the world between, between, between being assistant pastor and pastor's assistant. Just turn the words around, but all the difference in the world. I was not the assistant pastor. I was the pastor's assistant. So I got very, very competent to cutting the grass and collecting things and fetching things and picking people up and going to the airport and all that kind of stuff. But he asked me to preach. And so, but what I did do in that time, I can honestly say I used my time very wisely. I had a hunger for the things of God. I would pray six or seven hours every single day. My mother, who now lives three doors down from me, she would be able to tell you, I used to pray six, seven, eight, nine hours every single day. And this build up to these meetings was no exception. 
And so he asked me about three weeks in advance to do the Sunday service. And I, I mean, my prayer time intensified. I was excited, but I was nervous. And isn't it funny? You can want something your whole life, and then when it comes, you don't want it. And so anyways, I prepared my message. Unsurprisingly, I was talking about the rain, about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was my first ever sermon, and my last ever sermon would be about that, I'm sure. And so it was the Thursday before the Sunday. And I'd been praying all week, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And when I finished, I started again. And I was staying, living at my parents' house. They had a beautiful property just outside of London, had a little bit of acreage, really as close to London as you can be and have acreage and not be right in the city. It's like 25 minutes by train to the Queen's house. And so I was walking this way and I was praying for the service and just praying about the whatever. And I was shaking the makola, but I didn't have anything else to pray left with. I prayed everything 30 times. You know what it's like? I'm just praying in the spirit. And I'm walking this way in the back garden and all of a sudden I had this uh, like imagination I began to see the Sunday service. I imagined the Sunday service, certain things that would be happening and going on and, and this, that, and the other. And, and I, I saw it. I didn't know then what I know now. I didn't know what was going on. I thought this was just youthful enthusiasm. I thought I was just excited. I didn't know what was going on. But in this vision, I saw myself going down the prayer line praying for people. And I saw myself come to this man. And I looked at him. I knew his name. And his name was Tarun. And he was uh, very thin, but he looked like he was a little bit pregnant. He had stomach cancer. I knew all this just in my imagination. It's like I was watching it on a TV show. And so I put one hand on his stomach, one hand on his back, and I said, Stomach cancer in the name of Jesus, I command you to go from it. This was just, I'm just, I'm walking in the garden. I'm praying in tongues. I'm just having an imagination, you know, like you dream about what it's going to be like when you go to Disney World or what things are going to be like. And I, and I just, I'm just dreaming, you know. And so anyways... The power of God in my dream knocked into the floor. I didn't push him over. I don't like pushing people. I don't like pushy preachers. I don't push people when I'm praying. Certainly not ill people. And there he goes down to the floor. And so I'm carrying down praying for people in my dream, in my imagination. And it was a, the church was maybe a couple of hundred people. It, was, it didn't have the edge sections like this one. It had the two middle sections. And, and so I'm going down line. There was more people to be prayed for than could fit in the front altar area. It wasn't very big. So they lined them up on the platform. So I'm going down the platform. I'm praying for people. My back is to the congregation. And I'm you know, praying for people up on the platform this way. And I get to the middle. And I look over my shoulder in this imagination. And there's this man, Tarun. And he's standing at the back by the sound desk. And so I said, Tarun, I need to pray for you again. Come on back up. And he came up, not in the middle, but up the side. And he was walking up the side. I said, no, sir, come running. And he began to run toward me. And I jumped off the platform, which you don't mind doing when you're 17. And he got about as far away from me as you and I are. And I said, cancer, I told you, go from him in the name of Jesus. And I saw all this, just like you're watching, you know, something on TV. I saw other things too. But I saw that. Walking this way, just in a flash. Get to the service. I wasn't given any attention to what I've seen ahead of time. Again, if I knew then what I know now, I would have written things down. I'd have, you know, remembered it. But I didn't, I had no idea what was going on. And I was so nervous about the service and wanting to do a good job. And, you know, I was taking up the offering also. And I wanted it to be a good offering. What is the way? I didn't want it to come back and it had been like 20 pence in the offering. And so anyways, I'm, I'm concentrating on all of that. And it wasn't until I'm going down the line praying for people. And I stand in front of him and he looks at me and I look at him. And I said, oh, Tarun. And he looked short. He'd never been before. A friend brought him to the meeting. I don't know how to be prayed for. I don't know why. He'd never been before. I'd never seen. And, I said, and he was shocked that I knew his name. 
And then I put one hand on his stomach, one hand on his back. I said, stomach cancer. And his eyes got even bigger. How did I know his name? How did I know he had stomach cancer? And I said, stomach cancer, I command you, go in the name of Jesus. The power of God knocked into the floor. I didn't push him. I don't like pushing people when I pray for them. Don't like pushy preachers. Certainly not ill people. And I didn't need to. I knew he was going to fall over because I realized now what I had wasn't my imagination. It was God's. So I'm going down the line praying for people. And sure enough, they're lining them up on the platform. Just like I'd seen. So I'm going down, praying for people on the platform. And I got about this far along. And I was desperate to turn around and see if Tarun was at the back. But I didn't want to break it. Whatever it was, I didn't want to break it. So with tremendous impatience, I was 17. I waited till I got to the middle, right where I was. I turned around and sure enough, there he is standing at the back. So I said, Tarun, I need to pray for you again. And he came not up the middle, up the side. Began to run up the side. I jumped off the platform. You don't mind jumping off the platform when you're 17. He got about as far away as you and I are. And I said, cancer, I told you. Go in the name of Jesus. Just like I'd seen ahead of time. But what I saw next, or what happened next, I didn't see. And I always say, if I'd seen it, I think I'd have chickened out. Because when I said, cancer, I told you, go in the name of Jesus. And again, there was 200 people there to witness. My mother, who lives three houses down from me, she was there. She was in the service. The power of God hit that man. It's like someone just punched him in the chest, knocked him back. He wasn't running fast. He'd been given six weeks to live two weeks before. So he wasn't, he's not Usain Bolt. But he's running toward me. The power of God hits him, knocks him back about the six feet. He hits the wall and slides down to the floor. The congregation goes, the musicians stop. Honestly, no word of a lie. The musicians stop. I'm standing there shocked. Everyone's gasping. He's in a heap on the floor. The musicians have stopped. There was medical personnel in the room. Someone ran over and there was literally a nurse taking his pulse. He's still alive. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord. I remember thinking, I'm going to have the shortest evangelistic ministry in history. Halfway through my first service, I kill someone. That's, it's over. Let's begin my prison ministry. So, so what do you do? Well, thankfully, it was a character. I said, play something. Play something loud. And so I just, I just tried to create a distraction. I can't tell you who else I pray for. I didn't care who I pray for. I didn't care if they got healed. I didn't care if they got saved. I was just praying, Lord, let him not be dead. He got up and he, he walked out. He wasn't walking and leaping and praising. This isn't Peter and John at the beautiful gate of the temple. But at least he was alive, you know, anything better than dead. Friday, the pastor calls me and says, John, <laughs> he said, word, what did you do? <laughs> but it wasn't a, what did you do? It was a, what did, Tarun went to the hospital on the Thursday. You can probably imagine the end of the story, so I won't labor the point every cell of cancer they couldn't find a single one of them not a single cell of cancer in his body two weeks later he and i are praying playing tennis and i'm not amazing but i'm not bad and and he gave me a run for my money but the point i want to make is this is is can i be really honest with you i didn't know again i didn't know everything then that i've subsequently learned but i got his miracle I re- better word, I received his miracle. When I was in my parents' garden that Thursday afternoon, and I'm walking this way, Shakina Makola Babada Kosonde, and something got in me. Jesus said to the disciples, and as you go, preach and tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, 
cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. And then he told them how. He said, because freely you receive, freely you'll give. I received Tarun's miracle. I, I was pregnant with it. I was carrying it. All the rest of Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday. Sam, in the service, the suicidal lady that was set free, completely life transformed, also happened to be a Thursday. But it got in me on the Thursday. I shared it up here. I was preaching at a conference several years ago. It was a minister's conference. And I wouldn't normally do this because it would seem really stuck up. But it was, it was, it was a mature group of believers and it illustrated the point. It was all pastors in the room. And I was preaching and sitting over in this section about where you are. There was a lady and, and when I went over to her, I knew, I knew she had a frozen shoulder, arthritic frozen shoulder. And I, frozen shoulder. And I said this to her. Which, and again, I wouldn't use you this terminology because it comes across wrong. I looked at her and I said, I have, I've got your healing for your shoulder. Would you like me to give it to you? Do you want it? And she said, yes. And I popped her on the shoulder and her shoulder freed up. And I wasn't trying to be, oh, I've got... But what, what did Peter and John say at the beautiful gate of the temple? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Not such as God has, or, well, let's pray and see if the Lord will give. No, evidently, it had already been given because Peter said, I, I have it. I've got it. There's a lot I don't have. There's a lot I don't have. But if I have it, I can give it to you. Do you get what I'm saying? I've got, oh, it's a hundred. I've got a, I could give, I'm not actually going to, I could give you that because I've got, I can't give you a thousand. But I could give you a hundred and twenty because I have it. I can give you a room key. I can give you my little wallet thing. I can, such as I have. Church, Christian, we've got to get back to the place where we don't be content that, yes, I'm a great Christian. I do my devotions every morning. Or, or I'm a really great Christian because I'm on fire. But we need to get to the place where I'm familiar with the secret place and I learn how to drink. So that when I get to the hurting, the broken, the tired, the ill, the infirm, I've actually got what they need. Paul said, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom. But I came in the demonstration of the spirit and the power that your faith wouldn't stand in the wisdom of men. But in the power of God. There's a lot of things I can't do, a lot of things I don't have, a lot of things I'll never be. But, but a child of God, I can be that. I have no less access to the presence of God than Kenneth Copeland has, or than Billy Brim has, or Pastor Mark has. You have no less access than me. The blood of Jesus gives you access. Your Father sits on a throne called Grace, to which you're welcome to come boldly. Anytime you choose, if you are not close to the Lord, it's not because he backed away from you. If you don't have a friendship with Jesus, it's not because he has backed away from you. He said, you draw near to me. I draw near to you. Oh, my, my, my. I know this is a very, very simple message. I know I'm not saying anything new, but I pray it's stirring in you. To say, you know what? You know what I want to do with my life? I want to dwell in a secret place so I can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Mary said, how's this miracle going to happen? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then the power of the highest will overshadow you. And this thing which you'll be born of you will be called the Son of God. 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, the power of the highest overshadows you, and the fruit of that experience is always the manifestation of the Son of God in your life. We're going, Ro. We're going. I'm tired of ordinary. I'm tired of theory. I'm tired of theology. I'm tired of being able to quote the things and tell the Christian jokes and preach the messages but not be able to set captives free. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I'm tired of going on mission trips and having nothing to give other than my leadership techniques and my, you know, if you had a PowerPoint presentation like mine, you'd be better off. I'm done. It's not worth flying all the way over here to give you my PowerPoint. I I don't mind PowerPoints. They're helpful. I I frustrate the PowerPoint person because I move my message so they just, the computer starts smoking. But no power, no point. Thank you. And I'm a firm believer, if you haven't hit oil in 20 minutes, stop boring. I mean, I, I believe in all of that. But all my days, can we get back to the secret place? Where there's people that know how to place one hand in heaven, one hand on the earth. Bring the two together and pull people out of wheelchairs. Open the eyes of the blind and set the captives free and bind up the brokenhearted. I want to be that person. So can I, steal a, can I steal an altar call from my favorite preacher? There's this one preacher. My goodness. I mean, he hits the ball out of the park every time. Staggering ministry. His name's Jesus. He was preaching at the early equivalent of the full gospel businessmen. It was a big feast one day. And he stood up in the middle of the feast. Couldn't wait till the end. And he said, if anyone's thirsty... Come to me and drink. We analyze it. We, we stay in this place. I'm well, thirsty for what? what is it, does it apply to me? Is it, well, you know, I went up last week. And, no, he didn't say that. He just said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Can I, can I just give the exact same invitation right now on behalf of the Lord? Would you mind if I do that and say, if, if anyone is thirsty, could, could you just come up here? Could we find ourselves a spot? Could we come to him and drink? And I believe that Jesus is going to pour something out into us today.